You are now listening to Trillionaires, a race ahead. Great recession did not affect everyone in the same way. A new report shows that the wealth gap between whites, blacks, and Hispanics are the widest they've been since the government started keeping track 25 years ago. What's good, everybody? Welcome to Trillionaires, a race ahead, a podcast that explores how politics, racism, and economics all contribute to the racial wealth divide in America. My name is Danny Blue, and I'm your host. And I know, I know, it's been a minute since the last one, and I apologize, man, but I've been going back and forth on how I wanted to approach this next episode. The, the first six um, episodes were so important because to me, they really laid a foundation for why this racial wealth gap exists. So for the second half of this series, starting with episode seven, I wanted to uh, approach it in a way that was different. Um, not really talking about the problem so much as the solution. So with this episode, I address how we've been miseducated and how it contributes to the system that we live in in America. And the second half of that episode is largely about how we can make changes within ourselves to work within the system to our advantage. So this is a jam-packed episode, man. I was in, in rare form talking off the cuff. <laughs> and and from everybody that listens, that's when y'all like me the most. So hopefully you'll find value in this episode, man. As always, share, um, like, subscribe, follow us on Trillionaires Pod, um, and continue to send messages, feedback, uh, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps me a lot and, and helps with uh, future production of the show. So you know the drill, man. Strap in your seatbelts, put on your thinking caps, and let's get into episode seven. The revolution wasn't televised in the 60s. Uh, is it going to be televised in the 90s? Well, you know, the, the, the catchphrase, what that was all about, uh, the revolution will not be televised, that was about the fact that the first change that takes place is in your mind. You have to change your mind before you change the way you live and the, and the way you move. So when we said that the revolution will not be televised, we were saying that, like, that, that, that the thing that's going to change people is something that no one will ever be able to capture on film. It'll just be something that you see and all of a sudden you realize, I'm on the wrong page. Or I'm on the right page, but I'm on the wrong note. And I've got to get in sync with everyone else to understand what's happening in this country. Uh -huh. But I think that the black Americans have been the, the, the only real diehard Americans here because we, we're the only ones who've, who've carried the process through the process. That everyone else has sort of like skip stages. We're the ones who marched, we're the ones who carried the Bible, we're the ones who carried the flag, we're the ones who tried to go through the courts. And, 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 and being born American didn't, didn't seem to matter because we were born Americans, but we still had to fight for what we were looking for. And we still had to go through those channels and those processes. Historically, there's been this fallacy that has been pushed down our throats, that's been advertised, that's been indoctrinated in our society that if you just work hard enough, if you go to school, you get good grades, you can have success in America. You can accomplish the American dream. But for so many people who look like me that are classified as black, that hasn't been the case. Through the first six episodes, I took you on a timeline 
starting with the foundation of what we know is the American society and what it was built on. We know that it was built on primarily racism and this concept known as white supremacy. And that system has worked consistently to put people of color in a position of inferiority. It's what we call systematic racism or systematic oppression, right? We're not talking about just the times where a white person would call you a nigga to your face or where you would have separate um, facilities or separate schools just because you were black. No, it's not that blatant anymore. Now, the racism that we experience and the oppression that we experience is largely due to the system in which we live and operate in. And education is a is a prime example of that. Remember, we talked about redlining, right? And how government created what we know as ghettos by literally drawing lines, red lines, around communities that were majority black. And from that, they worked in conjunction with the banks and lenders and said, know what? These communities are too risky for your investment. You shouldn't give anyone money that wants to buy a home there. And you should drop the property values of homes that are there. But then again, like I told you, our system is set up to which schools are funded by tax dollars of the people in those communities. And where do you get the most tax dollars from? Property, cars, homes, uh, et cetera, and income. If you're in a community that community that has been deemed risky or poor, your tax dollars probably don't amount to much, which means your schools are underfunded, which means the system creates an inferior education for you. While at the same time, suburban schools are giving a better education simply because their homes, their tax dollars are deemed to be more valuable. So how do we navigate against this system in which recent reports show that white Americans are going to have more wealth than black Americans, regardless of educational attainment. We've been told that, you know what, we just got to go to school, get good grades, work hard, and we'll be able to achieve the American dream. But how do we navigate in a system that has, one, educated us to be inferior, two, educated us to be workers and consumers, and three, that doesn't educate us at an even playing field? How do we navigate against that system? If we can't change the system, what can we do? To me, it has to start within each and every one of our individual minds. With me, it started with me learning about myself. And not only just myself as in me as a person, but learning about my history outside of what I was taught in school. 
was I really taught in school? Or was everything that we've been taught a part of feeding the system? Those are the questions that you have to ask, ask yourself. And Carter G. Woodson's Miseducation of the Negro, he said that America's educational system didn't and wouldn't help black students. This was because a good education was one that helped blacks overcome their unique circumstances as the children of formerly enslaved people and not one that reaffirmed and reinforced a status of inferiority. So we're educated, not on our history, we're not, on, we're not given the, the truth or, or stories of um, the abundance of black inventors, the abundance of um, black historians, black scientists, uh, black mathematicians. We aren't taught about those things in schools because we know if we were, it would instill a sense of pride. It will instill a sense of love. It would instill a sense of um, motivation within us, like, oh, wow, we can do this. We're given a few uh, figures, you know, Martin Luther King, and we're not even, even told the truth about Martin Luther King. All we get is I have a dream and civil rights. But if you listen to the other America, if you listen to his speech, The Three Evils of Society, you'll see that Martin was way past civil rights before he died. He was way over that. He was trying to get economic inclusion for not only black people, but for all poor people in America. And that's why he was killed. See, they don't want you to know that because it's powerful information. It sheds light on the, the falsehood of white supremacy, the falsehood of this American dream. Is it a dream? If so, who is it a dream for? But back on topic. It starts with us being re-educated into who we are as a people. We have a thousand different stimulus from music to TV that, uh, to schools that try to control how we think and how we perceive the reality of this world and especially the reality of ourselves. Who came up with this notion that black communities are dangerous? That's a question that you have to ask. Who said that everybody in the, in the hood is selling drugs and, and killing everybody? Does the media and does the system control our perception of reality? Or are they simply taking what is really happening, happening and shedding light on it? Those are questions that you have to ask yourself. But again, it starts with us getting out of this quote unquote system, taking a step outside of the system and re-educating ourselves on one, who we are. Because if you can see beauty in another black person, right? And you can see them as an ally, right? Instead of someone to compete against, instead of someone to envy, instead of someone to hate, it's much easier to then say, yo, we're on the same wavelength. You're black, I'm black, let's work together 
and try to build out this business. Let's work together and try to um, invest in properties in our community. Let's work together to try to build X, Y, Z. This notion of crabs in a barrel, where, where does that come from? Who came up with that? Because historically, remember, up until desegregation, blacks work together. We've we've seen there's a, a billion, not, not a billion, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't wanna exaggerate, but there are multiple examples of thriving black communities in the 40s, 50s, and 60s in this country. Early as the, the 1880s and 1920s, 1880s with Memphis, that had a thriving black community after, um, during the Reconstruction uh, era, but was torn apart by race riots. Then you had, um, in 1921, you had Tulsa, Oklahoma, the original quote-unquote Black Wall Street that was torn apart by race riots. You had a thriving black community in Philadelphia that was torn apart by race riots. You had a thriving black community in Durham, North Carolina called Black Wall Street as well. So there, there has been history of us being able to build communities and work together. But it has to begin with us changing our mindsets. We cannot see success on an individual basis anymore. Jay-Z is a billionaire. Fantastic. But what has Jay-Z done to build black community? The one example that you can point to of, of someone that has achieved great individual success and is now starting to think on a community level is LeBron. And if you know me, you know I'm a little biased about LeBron. But he's doing it the right way. Who, who does he employ? Who is a part of his managerial team? His friends. What does he do? He goes and builds a charter school in his hometown for low-income and at-risk youth. And now he's going to build housing, affordable housing, for the families of those same children. That's how you do it. It's cool to get individual success, and that should be that should be boasted about. Jay-Z worked hard, Oprah worked hard. They they have the right to be selfish. But when we have so little within our group, so little of us that get to touch a million dollars in wealth, that get to amass a billion dollars in wealth, for us to not think about the group, to me, is wrong. And that is my opinion. It doesn't have to be yours, it doesn't mean that it's right. But in my personal opinion, if we if we care about this racial wealth gap, if we care about it, if we care that the average black family only has $17,000 in wealth, on average, the majority of black families don't even have $25 in savings. $25 in retirement. That's the majority. We're just talking about the average black family has $17,000 in wealth. In Boston, the average black family has $8 in wealth. Imagine what it is in, in, in larger cities. So if we care about addressing this gap, 
in which whites own 10 to 11 times more wealth than blacks do, then we have to make some changes within ourselves. We have to make some changes within how we think and we have to make some changes in how we're educated. Step one of re-education, right? You have to get out of this, oh, everything that I learned in school was was right. You learn reading, writing, math, reading, writing, math, arithmetic, whatever it is. Sure, that's fantastic. Science, fantastic. But when it comes to history and black history, that needs to be something that you do on your own because they're not going to equip you with that knowledge of yourself because it's too powerful. Think about how a white child feels when he sees every superhero that looks like him. Think about how a white child feels when he sees a depiction of the savior of the world, Jesus, that looks like him. Think about how a white child feels when he sees all the wealthiest men and women in the world that look like him and all the people in quote unquote American history that have made these great contributions that look like him. How do you think that makes that child feel? Pretty damn confident that they can be successful, right? But when you're black and you don't see that and your parents tell you, look, this is the realities of society. You're going to have to work three times harder just to get half of what this person that doesn't work as hard as you get. When you get put over from the police, you have to be on your P's and Q's. Don't talk back. Don't that fear, right? That that feeling of it doesn't matter what I do. I'm always going to be seen as less than is directly connected to us not having a strong community. Because if a black child had great black schools, great HBCUs that educated him, he had thriving black businesses within his community that he knows that he could go off to school, come back home and get a job working for somebody that looks like him. If that was the case, if that was the reality, you think that we would be walking around talking about we got to work three times harder just to to get an opportunity in somebody else's corporation and another group's corporation? You think we'll be walking around asking for handouts or depending on other people? No. But again, remember when I told you after desegregation, we flew, we flew to ghettos. The best and the best within our group said, you know what? I need to be as close to white folks as I, as I can. I got to get in these good schools. Um, I got to make sure I, I go to a good college. I get a good job in a white corporation because that's going to be my success. Is that success? When everybody that, sh- that you grew up with is left behind struggling? Nah, to me, and again, this is just my opinion, to me, we cannot, we can no longer look at we can no longer look outside our group for salvation and i'm gonna say it again we can no longer look outside our group for salvation it just doesn't happen 
It hasn't happened, and it's probably not going to happen. We have to look at each and every one of our individual selves for our own salvation. Reparations is great. Will it happen? Probably not. And if it does happen, are we going to touch that money? Probably not. So how do we navigate? How, how, do, how do we navigate a system that we know is already against us? First, you have to realize that the system is made up. It's a system that is built on a lie. White supremacy is a lie. There's scientific research about it, genetic research about it. And all you have to know is this. People of color are the majority of people in this world. We're talking black, brown, yellow. They're the majority. Africa is, what, three times bigger than America? China, India, just there, Brazil, outweighs South America, outweighs America and people of European descent. White folks are the minority in the world. And genetically, just speaking on the makeup of our bodies and our genes, genetically, they are inferior to blacks and people that have melanin. Can black people get sun, skin cancer? No. Who ages better? Who lives longer? Who has been here longer? Answer to those questions I can tell you who is genetically, and we're just speaking genes here, who is genetically dominant. So it would make sense why this system was created to make you think that you are inferior. This quote unquote reality that we live in is set up to support this lie. But once you realize it's a lie, right? Once you realize that, hey, every other group looks out for themselves and works together. But yet, why has my group been made to feel like we need to compete with each other? Why has my group been made to feel like we are at odds with each other? Who, who is controlling that narrative? And why? Why is our group so attacked? Because we are so powerful. They know this, and now it's time for you to know it. Period. So what can we do as each individual to start to generate wealth on our own, start to make smart financial decisions, so that we don't have to be dependent, so that when our kids have kids, they can have a community that we laid the foundations for 20 years from now. So in previous episodes, we've talked about the importance of entrepreneurship. Um, last episode, we talked about the various industries in which uh, blacks represent the majority of the consumers. So these are industries in which you can start businesses in and just rely on the success of your own to um, you know, generate some revenue and be successful. 
But not everybody is an entrepreneur. Not everybody wants to take the risk to start a business. And there's nothing wrong with that. But just because you're an entrepreneur doesn't mean that you cannot be a part of building an economic base within our community. Historically, we have not, as a group, been the most financial literate, right? We don't have conversations about budgets and debt, asset expenses, liabilities, credit, etc. That has to change. And on an individual level, it starts with becoming a master of your finances. You have to look at your individual life, um, the job that you do, the money that you make, almost like a business. You need to plan out, not plan out, but write out, okay, this is all the money that I have coming in. This is all the money that I have coming out. This is what I have left over, and this is what I could do with it. Coming up with a budget has been one of the most transformative things that I've learned in my 28 years of life. And I didn't have a budget until this year. That just tells you how far behind we are in some cases. But it doesn't matter, right? Time is relative. Everybody's on their own journey. Tomato, tomato. It's all about you learning it when you learn it, right? So now that I know that, all right, I need to have a budget because, one, I got debt that I need to pay off. And in order for me to make changes, in order for me to be able to invest by property, invest in my business, invest in other people's business, do deals and partnerships with other people to help start to, to build this foundation and economic base, I can't be owing people. So for me, it started with my credit card debt and my car payment and making sure that I put all the extra money that I had. I budgeted my essentials, my rent, my light bill, um, credit card, phone bill, cable. All those things are essentials, gas, groceries. And I took everything that wasn't essential. So going to the movies, eating out, I took that out of the budget. And I put that in a pot that I can now use to say, all right, I've got an extra $750 a month that I could put towards paying down this debt in addition to what I'm already paying on top of it. So in most cases, I'm paying credit card. I'm paying on my credit card three times a month. I'm paying on my car payment twice a month so that I can get that debt off of me quicker because then I'll be able to actually use my money as an asset and to invest in assets. Step one, before you can do that, which I would recommend and all financial experts recommend, and this was recommended to me by one of my close friends, is first get to the point where you can have $1,000 in emergency saving. Once you save $1,000, Take all the extra money that you make that you are not putting towards bills and necessities. I'm going to stress that again. Necessities. New clothes every month, new shoes every month. That's not a necessity. And people that know me know I used to buy Yeezys every time they drop. Haven't bought Yeezys or new clothes 
and months. <laughs> and honestly, I don't even notice because I'm so focused on sticking to this budget and getting out of personal debt. So it, it all steps back to what I was preaching, not preaching, that's a bad word, but what I was saying in the beginning of the episode, it starts within the mind. The revolution will not be televised is pretty much saying that the revolution within the black community is going to happen within each and every individual one of our minds. And it's something that you won't be able to see. It's something that won't be bragged about or boasted about. It's just going to be a mindset shift. And once your mind changes, it's hard to revert back to your old ways. It's hard to revert back to your old ways of thinking. So once you have that, 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 that different mindset in one who you are, the power and, and, and influence and impact that you have as a people, once you start to see that beauty within people that look like you and start to see them as allies instead of enemies, you could have friends that you say, yo, and, and this is a real life example, right? We, we saw an article floating around um, Instagram about a group of friends that just saved $50 a week in Philadelphia, and they just bought their first property um, this year, and they saved that for two years. If you don't have friends that you could say, bro, like, let's start a business together or bro, let's start a property management company or let's invest in some houses and rent them out to get some rental income. If you can't have friends, if you don't have friends that you can have those conversations with and say, yo, I make X, Y, Z, you make X, Y, Z. I can afford to save $50 a week. I'm sure you can afford to save $50 a week. Let's set up an account and let's just be consistent with doing that every week. And let's see what happens. After a year, who knows how much we can have? And we can be in a position where we could do a deal together or we can start a business together. You, you see how just a shift in, in mindset? We don't have to compete. Everybody doesn't have to be Mark Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs. We as a group can be Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs. If five, five hand, five fingers put together are more stronger than five individual fingers spread apart. Probably a bad analogy, but you get what I'm saying, right? If you can, if you have five friends that you could say, "Yo, let's all put this money together um, and invest in some property, so we can start to own the houses in our communities and fix them up for our people." We don't want to have anybody else come in here and gentrify our community and push us out. So let's be the people that own these assets and make sure that they stay black owned and black people live in them. That's just an example with real estate. If a business, if it's a business, let's say, bro, I want to start this um, baby food company. Let's put some money to us, put some money to side. Uh, I'll do the research. How about you? You're good at marketing. You're good at social media. You do the social media for it. Get some, um, get get some buzz around it, bro. You're great with numbers. You can do. You can be the accountant. Not every. You're not gonna make money from the jump. You don't. Nobody does. But if you could get to the point where you're working together for a common goal and you're all like minded, we can start to truly make changes. Truly make changes. 
on an individual level, it starts with us being smart about our finances, right? Again, have a budget. Once you have a budget, make some goals. You say, you know what? I can save uh, $500 a month. I can afford to save $500 a month after my expenses. Make a goal to say, all right, my goal for this year is I want to save $10,000 to put towards a new house. Or I want to save $10,000 and I want to be able to loan my friend $2,000 to help him start his business because I believe in him. You see, it's, it's, it's not hard. It just hasn't been taught to us. Finances and the economy and, and saving, investing, budgeting, it hasn't been taught to us in ways in which we can grasp. And that's why I'm speaking not from a piece of paper. I'm not a financial guru. I'm not giving you any crazy terms that you don't already know. I'm just a regular dude. So an easy step one to, to, to taking control of your personal finances after this episode, I'll have links in the description of resources that I use to help me. You don't have to use them, but they're things that help me and make it very simple and plain. Um, but make a budget. See how much you make on a month, monthly basis. See what you need to spend on a month month basis and then set some goals for what you can do with the money that you have left over and if you don't have money left over look for uh, maybe a part-time job or something that you could do working from I mean there's thousands of work from home jobs that you can do to make extra cash something that you could do on the side to make some extra cash because getting out of debt as a people uh, has to be priority number one, right? We cannot be in a position where we have bad debt. Thousands of dollars in credit cards and thousands of dollars in car payments, but we don't own any real assets. We can't be in that position. So step one, get a budget, set some goals, and stick to that budget. Start to change your perspective, and if it, if it's easier for you. Do it with friends. Have a budget party. Have a have a group of your closest friends, people that are on the same wavelength as you. And, and even if the people that aren't on the same wavelength, encourage them to be on the same wavelength. Because in my opinion, as I've gotten older, a friend to me is someone that can provide value to you and you provide value to them. If you have a friend that isn't helping you get to where you want to be. If you have a friend that isn't, that can encourage you, can criticize you, can give you tips and you can't work with, are they really a friend? Honestly, are they really a friend? If you don't have friends that are trying to, to move up in life, that are trying to better themselves, maybe you need to, to question who you have around you because Doing it by yourself is one thing, but when you can do it with a group that are all on the same mission, man, it's powerful. Man, it's powerful. Again, four bro- five, five brothers in Philadelphia, two years of saving meticulously. Now they're in a position where they are owners of real estate. They have a, they have a, a business that they started. Now they can invest 
and properties in their city. That should be the goal, man. We can't let other people come in and fix our communities. We can't let other people come in and gentrify our communities and displace us. We can't be in a position of debt servitude where we're just working jobs in which we hate to pay bills our whole lives. Because that's the system that we've been educated in. The system wants us to to work 30 years and a corporation are owned by somebody that doesn't look like us because we have so much debt that we can't do anything else. They don't want us to produce anything for ourselves, have businesses that solve problems in our communities, own assets and real estate in our communities. Why? Well, if you're listening, you should know. That's all I got, man. I hope you guys truly enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Hopefully it makes sense. It made sense to me. Uh, the rapper bow in it, man. The revolution won't be televised. Until next time. Ain't seeing due time, I be making meals. Bossed up in this game, I've been making deals. Get your lawyer on the phone, we can make it.